Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Good afternoon, Ben. How are you doing today? Uh, doing pretty well. I'm enjoying some the, the semblance of fall. It just started to cool off just a, a little bit, especially in the mornings here, which has been really refreshing. How about you? Yeah, I'm enjoying that as well. It's been, it's going to get warmer the rest of this week, but uh, we had a, we've had some cold nights to even start a fire out in the backyard, and uh, it's definitely, I enjoy the seasons that you get here in Maryland a lot more than you get down there in Georgia. <laughs> we we do get some seasons, but it's not as defined as you would get. Uh, but yeah, we did a fire the other night, just sort of spur of the moment, and it wasn't even that cool, but it was enough where it, it felt good and it kept the mosquitoes away. Yeah. So that was that was nice. Well, it's funny, like with the seasons that when I was uh, in high school, I remember I usually hated uh, a winter. I always get I'd get depressed sometimes in winter, and some of it was because you know the seasonal aspect, I and mean, it would snow like eighty feet in Northern Illinois. But uh, another was <laughs> I used to be a much bigger sports fan, as I was mentioning to you before this podcast. And when I was in high school, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan, and they were terrible. And January February was about the time that they would. January, they would absolutely implode every year, and I tied a lot of my identity in that, and so I got really depressed about that sometimes. <laughs> so. It's amazing how sports can do that for us. It is, yeah. So, And versus, you know, you being more of a baseball fan, this time of year was always great for you growing up, right, when the Braves were dominating what was exciting, it was like, could this be the year again? Because I, mean, I, I remember when the Braves won the World Series in 95. and But I wasn't as much of a fan at that point. I kind of liked them. And then it grew. And it was like, oh, man, okay. One of the pitchers was always kind of in the running for the Cy Young. And um, they would always just get so close and then just something would happen. So there, it could have led to probably probably a little depression there too, you know. Yeah, I rooted for the Brewers when I was in high school, and for us, it was like we'd be stoked if they won a game uh, for the Brewers in the early two thousands. <laughs> they were uniquely terrible. That I mean, their superstar player was this guy named Jeff Jenkins, who probably would have been like the eighth best player in any other MLB team. I do remember him. <laughs> Good old Jeff Jenkins. Anyway, so to talk then about depression. Uh, and more seriously than kind of the despair over a football game, how common do you think depression is today in America or the world? Well, in America, I would say, yeah, pretty widespread and probably in a lot of developed countries. can't say – and I've heard some statistics to that effect. I can't say that I know as much in the two-thirds world, the developing world, what it's like. I mean, surely it exists, but uh, I know it is pretty prevalent in, Western societies. Yeah. So I've done some research because of this, and uh, 16 million Americans battle, uh, adults battle severe depression of one sort or another. In that sick high, 16 million American adults. Uh, wow. And that seems high, but actually the numbers in terms of percentage of population is, is 
decent but higher among teens. 20% of teens in America battle depression of one way, shape, or form. Uh, and I actually suspect these are actually lower than reality. I suspect that even interacting with young people, I suspect if people were fully honest that even more than 20, 20% of teens and even more than 16 million Americans battle some form of very real and strong depression. So, mm. you know, though you don't know that for sure. But how can people be depressed in this land of plenty? You know, we've got a lot of stuff in America. I mean, we have jet skis in America. How can you be depressed in the land of jet skis? <laughs> you really like jet skis, don't you? I haven't ridden on a jet ski since high school. But when I did, it actually, I was kind of scared. And I'm, I guess I'm kind of, well, not kind of, I am a risk averse kind of person. Like, it was fun, but at the same time, I was like, I, I could die on this thing. Well, yeah. So. Well, I mean, um, we have deep-fried Snickers in America, so how can you be depressed in the land of deep-fried <laughs> Snickers? You know, unrealized goals and hopes and dreams, isolation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I, I don't. I again, we. I don't know this. I've heard some things about this, and it, it would make sense. But maybe depression is. A kind of an affliction that's more common in prosperous societies, but you can't absolutize that statement. I mean, there's evidence, we'll get into this, uh, I'm sure, evidence in the Bible of people being depressed and they lived in a whole different culture, and uh, maybe there was prosperity, but of a different sort than we have now. And so I, I think, I was actually listening to a sermon from the year 2000 uh, the other day, and the author, or the the pastor was quoting from a book that was written about that time called Bowling Alone, which I think you've read, I think yep. you've at least read, Great book. and just noting how people were uh, withdrawing from each other and, and engagement in civic societies and PTAs and all that kind of stuff. People were just disengaging, and so that was 20 years ago, and that was before Facebook and yeah. um just the explosion of digital ways to connect. And so it's like we're, we're hyper-connected but not truly connected with real flesh and blood people. Um, now we can quantify how much people like us or don't like us or, you know, with our posts and all this kind of stuff. So I think that stuff is certainly tied in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, as you point out, it definitely is a universal issue. I mean, in biblical times, people in uh, and deep uh, poverty struggle with it. I mean, they didn't even, they were so disadvantaged that they didn't even have flaming hot Cheetos, you know. Actually, the U.S. is actually the third most depressed nation in the world based upon some studies. I'm, I'm sure that's hard to really prove. The least depressed countries are consistently poor countries like in the listing of the most and least depressed countries consistently poorer countries uh, rank as less depressed than than richer countries which is again goes against so much of our mentality that we can have uh, so resources have little to do with our happiness even you know jet skis are, are the deep fried snickers uh, if anything, I think the constant drive for more in America can lead to a uh, very real depression. I think so, because so often those goals are not realized. Yeah. So, well, can Christians who have the fruit of the spirit get depressed? You know, Christians don't get depressed at all. Right, Ben? Just got to have enough faith. Just yeah. name that and claim that. Uh, yes, they can. I mean, 
the flesh desires uh, against the spirit and the spirit desires against the flesh and there we still are battling against the flesh we also still live in bodies and bodies that are fallen there can be a physiological element um and just chemical imbalances there and i mean it, no one fully knows the depth of how body and soul um, are woven together and how they affect one another sometimes sorrow can just be overwhelming and there can also be, even if you're showing the fruit of the Spirit in your life and you're a mature Christian, there can be patterns of bad thinking or responses that can emerge to certain things, and it can become easier to get depressed about uh, certain when certain events occur or circumstances. And so it's not just that those who are full of the Spirit just rise above the fray and they have uh, unending joy and bliss and ecstasy all the time. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree, not only can Christians get depressed, they actually, in fact, do. And, and mm-hmm. I think we even see some of these in, like, some of the people we love in church history. I mean, two people that uh, I think are, are wonderful and should be celebrated from church history would be Charles Spurgeon and Martin Luther. And Charles Spurgeon, I mean, he deeply battled depression, uh, and mm-hmm. even more so for Martin Luther, who, you know, his wife would basically have to drag him out of bed some mornings. He was in such despair. In fact, actually, Martin Luther, like, the worst thing he ever did was he wrote the book On the Jews and Their Lives, where he advocated some things that end up basically being taken up in the Holocaust. Uh, and some historians actually believe that he wrote that after he wanted to reach the Jewish people for Jesus, and they rejected, and in his great depression, he kind of went into anger in that and said some really, wrote some really terrible things out of his depression. Uh, so, I mean, they definitively do, even great Christians of the past and great Christians of today. Uh, but I don't think we talk about it much in the church. It's almost like it's, e- it's easy to think you're the only Christian battling depression because we kind of just put on a happy face at church. Uh, one thing I yes. just, yeah, I saw it was one in five pastors battle depression. Among our church leaders, one in five pastors battle that. Does that surprise you? At one level it does, and in another it doesn't. And honest, I think maybe once in my life um, prior to me being an adult that I experienced something that I would label depression, and then not until, well, maybe once at, once other before I was a pastor, um, but just experiencing that, you know, not all the time by any stretch, but experiencing it and just, you know, outlook changing, harder to, to bounce back and things. And, uh, you know, it makes sense given the kinds of things that we deal with. We're dealing with people's fallenness and uh, you want people to grow and to change and that's not happening fast enough or you want it more than they do. Um, And you you may have heard of this article, article, but uh, Carl Truman wrote, What Can Miserable Christians Sing? Have you you read that? Yeah, that's a great article. It really is. And, you know, again, if you, you look at the book of Psalms, um, there's so much in there about how long, O oh Lord, why, O oh Lord, you have picked me up and thrown me down. I, just filled with lament, and it's part of living in a fallen world. And some of the, I think, I'm not, I can't make a universal statement on this because there is stuff out there, uh, and I think it's growing. But a lot of music that's commonly sung in churches, or that it would appear on you know, popular sources for Christians to get music. Um, it, it highlights joy, which is appropriate, 
but maybe there's an imbalance there. And so this idea, like we have to be joyful and like feel happy and smiling all the time, um, or we're not showing enough faith, you know, and that's just not the case. I agree with you. Well, and I think that this can so much be the case that actually, I, I know of a Christian that wondered if they're, they're saved at all, if they battle this kind of thing. And, mm. uh, and I think it's important to see that the fruit of the spirit can even be true. You know, all the fruit of the spirit can be very applicable. Even the fruit of joy can be true of someone that battles depression. Even, you know, somebody that maybe has postpartum depression, uh, that, you know, is easier to kind of, that can be very severe, but is easier to overtly blame upon the, upon our chemicals in our brain. But, uh, so we can have the fruit, even if we are depressed, we can be Christians if we're depressed. So what does the Bible say about depression then, Ben? Well, one, that it happens. Uh, it's not oblivious to that fact. And going further, that it happens to faithful and godly people. Again, you look at the Psalms, David and others, um, you, community laments or you know, just the nation crying out. Um, you know, and it can, I guess, at least sadness— is an appropriate response to living in a broken and a fallen world. Um, But even under the new covenant, people indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I mean, you think of Paul, and I don't, I mean, maybe this is not actually depression, but Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, you know, we're we're grieving, yet always rejoicing. We're poor, yet enriching many. Um, and, And so there's just this acknowledgement of, there's a tension. There is grief that we have to deal with. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's more that could be said, but just generally the reality that it's there and it's not just if you don't have enough faith. Yeah. So, well, and you bring up Paul, I think it's interesting because I know some Bible scholars will suggest that it's probable. I don't know if it's right or not. Uh, but that Paul's thorn in the flesh had something to do with that kind of depression that he had. Hmm. Uh, I don't think he tells us what it is, but, you know, it's very possible. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But I, I, there's some Bible verses that really stuck out to me. And I agree with you that we go to the Psalms and we see clear examples of people battling despair. Uh, when the righteous cry for help, uh, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's from Psalm 34. Uh, even uh, that First uh, Peter, you know, uh, depression and anxiety can often be so like closely linked, like two sides of the coin. And in First mm-hmm. Peter 5, 6 through 7 talks about those as anxiety. and says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Uh, the And then I, I think the last thing I want to bring up then is First uh, Kings 19, one of the best examples, I think, of somebody that battled depression. And in this, like Elijah, uh, he had been going through a time of uh, being a prophet, you know, and he was not getting the reaction that he would hope for. He was kind of like the pastor that wasn't seeing the fruit from his ministry that he wanted. Even, he was almost killed, actually, by Jezebel in this time. And he goes up and he goes in the cave and he's just in utter despair. And he basically doesn't even really want to eat. He's that depressed. And God has to take care of him in this moment of extreme depression. 
And and I've heard that some uh, have suggested that the way Elijah act there means he had bipolar disorder. I, I don't know that you can in any way interpret that out of the passage. It's possible, but nonetheless, he was filled with real depression for an understandable reason. Yeah, and I mean, you think, too, the prophet Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet, yeah. and you see his sorrow at, at what's happening to Israel, also how he's treated. And then I, I read this from a helpful book, uh, and it pointed, they pointed out that the only book of the Bible named after an emotion is Lamentations, Ooh, you know, yeah. and it's like, yeah, that's pretty, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a reality that, that we have to deal with. Yeah, absolutely, so. Well, how does theology intersect with our depression, Ben? Well, God is good and he's sovereign, and those are things that you talk about in theology, and they're good and beautiful, strong truths that that undergird what we believe. Uh, And he's rightfully cursed our rebellious race as humans and our world, and and so it's a a, uh, condition of the fall. Um, Adam and Eve were not depressed prior to that. There was there was nothing to depress, and so I mean it, it's the also thinking about recovering from it or, or uh, coming out of it being uh, say healed or cured. It, it looks forward to a new creation, really. And so there's a whole lot in between. I mean, stuff you could fill in, um, but we're in the, this living in between the times in. The, the kingdom and the new the new age has broken in, the new creation, yet we still live in the fallen world, in the fallen body, and we are subject to these things. And so it touches on you know, the doctrine of creation and sin, um, on eschatology, and uh, but it is intensely practical. Yeah, so I, I think in ways also to add to this, theology can relate to depression like our bad theology can cause depression i actually mm-hmm. think of um a kind of false pelagianism which pelagianism believes that humanity is basically good if you have that kind of worldview and then you see how the world actually is it's easy to fall into despair and and depression i mean i think of a very clear example i mean ernest hemingway had famously written something along the lines that the world is a wonderful place and worth living in and then, you know, he realized that not so much at times, and uh, he ended up taking his own life uh, that in a moment of depression. And I think that's understandable why he became depressed when he thought that this world is, is good in a way that this, he didn't, in a way that it's not from a biblical viewpoint. So, uh, and I also think like a bad eschatology or a bad theology of the end times can really remove our hope. A lack of understanding uh, of, you know, this being our time of, of being a refugee, of being an alien, takes away any hope that can get a depressed person through. Uh, but I agree with you that kind of a correct theology of man says that this is a normal experience now. This is what manhood means now. So being a man means now, man or a woman so yeah yeah and you brought up too about someone questioning their salvation um that this is not something believers should deal with i mean that's a theological issue yeah or i mean i've known someone or and you've probably seen this where there's this expectation that if you have enough faith god will heal you of some physical affliction or some issue a struggle with sin you just want it gone now and you continue to struggle and oh man what's wrong with my faith and it can just really wreak havoc on your life yeah. 
Well, then, Ben, is depression relevant to kids and teens? Yeah. I mean, both can and do succumb to depression. Um, you were reading off statistics just a minute ago. Uh, changes in family dynamics and families breaking apart. Um, again, the social media stuff. There's a lot of research tying it to anxiety and depression. Um, bullying less biblical moorings you know that we have as a society and the kids have um, a lot of biblical illiteracy um and so th- i mean it's not just the lack of knowledge of the bible and it's a, a faith in the god that the bible proclaims and so yes i mean it, it's kids and and teens uh deal with this yeah well, and I want to add, you know, depression rates among even young kids are actually on the rise. We've talked about high depression rates for teens, but I've seen even stuff that show, I mean, five and six-year-olds battle depression more than people have, more than really it's ever been recorded that they do. So, I mean, this is deeply relevant to all levels of our next generation ministry. So, well, wow. I, I mean, babies cry, you know, so. <laughs> but, Crying out for baptism. Exactly. <laughs> Not quite. So, well, is depression ever harmful? We we've shown that depression can exist in a Christian, even a Christian that really loves Jesus. But is depression itself ever harmful? Sure. I mean, it can swallow you up and just immobilizing you from doing anything that you need to do, responsibilities, things that will possibly help you um, not be as depressed. It may not just take it away like a silver bullet. It may also push you towards harmful actions, um, withdrawing from others or self-harm, harming others, uh, anger. You mentioned earlier the connection between depression and anger. So sure, it can easily go into to harmful ways for you and other people. That's right. So, Well, then, Ben, what is the cure for our melancholy, uh, as the Puritans called it, me- uh, some depre- this kind of depression is melancholy? Or, you know, to put it in our own words, what is the cure for depression today? Well, that's like, sounds like you could write a book about that or make a lot of money saying that you had found it. I mean, ultimately, the resurrection to come is the cure. Um, I don't, we're not just going to be gone, uh, done with it in this age, I don't think. In this time, between the times when we live in between the fallen present age and the the new creation we look to christ and to his promises um and practically speaking i mean we, we try to move forward towards action um and doing the things that that god has called us to do because that can be one of the things depression it, it demotivates us like oh, I just I just don't have the energy to do this, or it's not going to make a difference. And so, trying to make steps forward so that things don't just continue to to accumulate and snowball. And so, in some way, I mean, faith and obedience. I mean, I think that's too simplistic, but it's a helpful way of thinking about it. We talk about the Christian life a lot is faith and obedience, but believing uh, God is who He says He is, and, and hanging on to Christ and His promises that he gives us in his word and really letting those, um, just latching onto those. And I mean, that's kind of abstract, but, uh, correcting our theology, um, where, where it's incorrect, but what helps us 
before we get to the depressed point is working to have a good theology that can help carry us through with these truths about who God is so that we can engage the God who is there in the middle of it. Yeah, that's good. So, by the way, for the record, uh, the book Cure for Melancholy was actually written by Richard Baxter, and I don't think he died notoriously rich. Uh, from it, so <laughs> I don't think it's sold think so. well. So, but uh, no, there's a good answer to that question. I agree. I mean, we can't. There's no magic switch that's going to change it. And we wish there was, uh, but I think we do take so much hope in knowing that one day this will be gone. Uh, and the person that battles depression, the person that struggles with it each and every day can one day be confident in knowing that their depression will be a small part of their eternal existence. Uh, and I think having that eternal mindset can help us get through. Uh, even, you know, the psalmists sometimes talk about, uh, tell themselves in their depression, I will, re- I will again rejoice. And it's not referring to eternity, but how much more hope is it when we know that not only will I again rejoice, but I will rejoice forever. I will have constant joy at one time. That's coming. I can await that uh, and trust in God for that. So and I also think one other thing that is important is just uh, you should connect in community. Uh, that uh, I think we need a community of other believers uh, to help us in the depression. Yeah. We should never do this kind of navigate this stuff alone. Uh, and this being quiet about it is just terrible and disastrous. Uh, I'll actually also add memorize some relevant scriptures to this. Psalm 42 is a great thing to memorize if you battle depression. Uh, and at times, you know, if this is something that could have a medical cause it's probably wise to see a general practitioner when you're battling depression anyway yeah i mean certain move wings of the church can be you know it's just spiritual it's just sin or something well yeah i mean our, our emotional issues are tied to our spiritual uh, the spiritual reality we also live in a body and so that can definitely affect it we do we don't live in like a robot so <laughs> so, anyway, but what is the danger of being quiet about depression, Ben? Well, there can be the risk of getting no help, um, depending on how you handle it. I mean, God just didn't intend for us to live alone. He didn't intend to us just as humans. He also didn't intend for us to live the Christian life alone. Um, we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, and that fulfills the law of Christ. The, in that relationship with other people and in bearing those burdens and sharing with them what's going on, there can be an offer of another perspective sometimes or just a listening ear to help you further understand what's, you know, maybe what you understand what's going on inside. Um, it can get worse. Your, your depression can get worse. It can also lead to dangerous and harmful behaviors towards you and towards other people. That's right. So. Well, one thing I would add to that is that I think when we're quiet about depression, this this really hurts other people that are struggling with it, and it allows shame to grow in, in people, other people that battle depression. You know, when a pastor might even acknowledge depression from the pulpit, or when you know we're met, we bring up our own depression in a small group. The, the wonderful thing that does to other people is, it, is that there are so many other people that probably battle oppression, literally one-fifth of people at least, that might feel like, hey, 
this is, you know, there's something wrong with me and I can't talk to people about this. And then they might hurt themselves. But when we open up, it kills that kind of shame that in people are able to see that there's somebody who loves Jesus. Uh, and so I think it ends up allowing other people to benefit from the that things that you brought up. So it saves other people from the dangers that you mentioned as well. So, uh, so also then how do we show our kids depression and sadness is normal and not shameful? You treat it as normal, at least to an extent. Um, you read the Psalms. We've already talked about mm. the Psalms a couple of times. But just if you just build that into um, your family life, and I, I think for good reason, the, the Book of Common Prayer has you read through the Psalms once a month. Um. I think talk about your own, whether it's present or past, just, you know, as, as appropriate as you're able to share details. And so that it's, uh, it's seen as not as this freakish thing that only messed up people have. I mean, cause we are all messed up. And so helping them to, to view it that way. So that it's not this taboo subject. And I think, I mean, with the increasing, increasingly that's maybe easier because, you know, there was a generation that, I mean, you did not talk about that kind of stuff. You did not seek help from someone. You just, you know, hunkered down and, and dealt with what you had to do. And then with time, I think there has become more discussion about some of those things. So that may just be a common grace thing that we're experiencing in our society. But it's still, I mean, there's still a lot of depression to deal with. So. One thing I would add so much in this in showing kids, and this specific song I'm going to bring up probably is more relevant to older kids, uh, but I think seeing meaningful songs about heart, about the heartbroken, songs written by the heartbroken as praises to God even in our heartbreak, and the Psalms are great examples of that. But you know, you mentioned that Carl Truman article, and uh, mm-hmm. there, and we all these songs are for happy people that we sing now, the popular new ones, and a lot of old hymns were written out of moment of deep despair and meaningful despairs. You know, not the kind of vague, you know, water metaphors <laughs> that don't really mean anything, <laughs> uh, but like real, like a grasping with sorrow. And I'll read some uh, that an old hymn from the 19th century. Uh, that a heart bereaved and lonely, which is its own first words. It says, a heart bereaved and lonely, whose brightest dreams have fled, whose hopes like summer roses are withered, crushed, and dead. Though link by link be broken and tears unseen may fall, look up amid thy sorrow to him who knows it all. And those words are words that will help Singing that normally will help even young people realize that depression is something that they can grasp, that they can fight through, and they can have hope in God through. Mm, yeah, the music, I mean, that, that's, that's very powerful. Well, then how do we uh, give the next generation the tools to handle depression in a healthy way? Well, a minute ago I said normalize it. I think to to an extent, but you don't want to over normalize it to the point that just everyone is always depressed and we just need to run to the doctor regularly for antidepressants and just take those constantly. You're saying we now, shouldn't just hang around hot topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but you know, I want to say too, medication is not always wrong. I don't think. Now, I'm not sure exactly where you stand on that. Um, I know some Christians are 
just utterly opposed, others are not. Uh, and even within the same camp that would don't ag- agree on a lot of things, uh, I don't think medications are always wrong, but also don't think they're always right. Every time you feel sad doesn't necessarily mean you go take a pill to fix it. And I think you want to help we want to help our kids become aware of their emotions and, and to make it regular to just talk about them uh, together and to talk with others and to engage with God yeah. about their emotions. Um, and so uh, you're giving them the word and then that ability to relate to other people. And I know, I mean, and I don't think this is really a fault of my parents. So I'm not trying to impugn them. I think a lot of this is due to personality um, I'm more on the linear, rational end and just like emotion. Uh, just, I don't, I don't have time for that. Let's just deal with the facts and the truth. And you know, being married and having children and, and, and being a pastor and doing some counseling, things like that, you, you have to in, inhibit or in, uh, inhabit the world of emotion. You don't want to inhibit it. Um, and so I've just had to grow my own awareness of my own emotions and how just wasn't even aware sometimes of feeling certain things. And so, um, just giving them some of those kinds of tools to become aware and to be able to kind of examine those things and to be able to engage with others and with God. Yeah. So the uh, only thing I'll add to that is, you know, and you just, uh, and I think you've said a lot of this, but we need to talk about depression in church and we should do this from sermons to even kids lessons. Uh, and I mean, again, I don't think that we go to like darkness, sad, emo, you know, uh, but uh, I think even having kids lessons that bring up, you know, how sad David was at times or Jeremiah, I think go a long way of helping the next generation have those tools to, to fight through depression that they might be experiencing at very young ages. Yeah, and it, you back to the music. I mean, the songs we sing as a church are what is c- perceived as normal. Is it just unbounded joy and cheerfulness, um, or is there more texture to it? Because, like, I mean, one in five people are coming to church depressed and sad, and so I, I don't know that I can really sing this song. I, I don't know about this this whole deal. Uh, is this true? So and, and the stuff I was referencing, I mean, some of it is just reflection. But then uh, a book that I found helpful, just thinking about emotions. It's called Untangling Emotions, and those kind of how they propose that you yeah. identify that you're feeling something. Then you start to examine that and re- hold it up to the mirror of God's Word. What is it that I'm valuing? That I'm loving? Um, and then to uh, you want to engage with those things and act, and engage with God, and then you know take action because our emotions. Um, it's not just that we feel them and go on, but like, what do we do about it now? Yeah. And so anyway, I found that a, to be a helpful grid. Now I want to ask, is depression a justifiable reason to hurt self or even others? And this sounds like a weird question, but I mean, I know of times where people have hurt themselves and, and it's just easy to say, you know, oh, that, you know, they're just a victim of their despair and they're just a victim of their depression as if, you know, their depression or despair made it okay in some sense no uh, you can't justify harming yourself or other people regardless um it can it's going to lead to further problems probably if, if you don't end up like you know permanently harming yourself it can lead to a worsening of the depression it may provide a temporary relief uh, i actually 
I was at the grocery store the other day, and the lady who was the cashier for me, I've seen her before, and normally she has on long sleeves, but she happened to be wearing short sleeves. And I noticed on her arms just a number of thin scars. Huh. Uh, it was, I mean, very obvious, you know, it was from cutting herself. And I mean, it just struck me. Uh, you know, there was obviously a lot of pain there, I think to the point of depression and, and trying to deal with it that way. And, you know, I see her, you know, somewhat regularly and there's not, you know, the, the, the joy certainly is not there. And, uh, just, you know, it's very saddening. Yeah. That's unfortunate. So, yeah, I agree with you. It can never justify that kind of hurting of ourselves or others. I think depression can tempt us to sin. And it, I mean, I think the depression that the temptations that can come while depressed are sometimes so severe that, you know, it, it's, it's not just for us to just play the, you know, oh, there's so much worse than me if they did a certain sin when they're depressed. We have to have some empathy for the person that's battling those temptations, but it can't cause sin. Uh, and uh, and I think that a way that we actually can relate to this is I think of an example almost the opposite of some of the bad examples is D.A. Carson wrote a really excellent book for anyone who is any sense pursuing ministry. One of my favorite books on ministry uh, was his uh, Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor, uh, which mm-hmm. detailed his, basically goes through his dad's journal. Who His dad was an ordinary pastor, small church, never met much success that it was measurable, but he deeply impacted his son, D.A. Carson, the great scholar. And D.A. Carson, like he read of these ways that his dad would write about how deeply depressed he would be about things in ministry. And yet he never saw it. D.A. Carson never saw that in his mom and dad. And, you know, because they kept plugging through and they kept being faithful to Jesus and it didn't cause them to sin. They were able to experience that emotion, but not be led to sin by it. Uh, and the, on the other extreme, though, while depressed people are in some sense victims when they hurt themselves or hurt other people, we must be clear, though, when they do hurt themselves or hurt other people, they can be the villain, too. And, you know, and I know this is a controversial. This is something that we're not supposed to say anymore. Uh, and to be clear, n- hurting yourself is never the unforgivable sin. Even if you kill yourself, that is not the unforgivable sin. People are in heaven that killed themselves. But we mm-hmm. must be as avert as possible. Taking your own life, hurting yourself is selfish and it hurts other people. And you are acting as the villain in some sense, even if you're the victim, when you hurt yourself. That's right. So, Now, how do we pr- protect young people from the extremes of depression like suicide? That's, that's a hard thing. Um, I think we want to try to enter into their world as much as we can to try to feel with them and and to keep them talking about it, to keep them talking about their emotions and not just clamming up or just acting out, but to, to help them explore it, to help them to, I mean, as much as you can to feel heard. And even that's the tricky thing about emotions. They are very real to the person who's feeling them. But their their um, emotions are an interpretation of their circumstances, and sometimes that interpretation is right. Sometimes it's wrong. Often it's somewhere in between. And so, while helping them to acknowledge, 
okay, yes, you do feel this way. But I mean, when you've got a depressed person, you can't just be like, oh, no, 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 you, that, that's not right. You shouldn't feel that way. Here's why. I mean, that's just, it's going to be like throwing a, a ball off a, a wall. It's just going to bounce off. But helping them to be conversant about it. I was looking at uh, something. I found this article from Stanford Children's Hospital, and they were dealing with this subject. And they said that discussing even the possibility of suicide may not actually increase the risk of doing it. Uh, but if someone is having those kinds of thoughts, it can help open up the opportunity for them to receive help. And so just I think that is key that, that there is yeah. a conversation going on and there's there is an awareness that someone is at least trying to understand. Yeah, absolutely. So well But I, I'm certainly not an expert on that. So I think some things that are helpfulness uh <clears throat> might be that parents that are listening to this, you know, or even young people maybe be willing to make radical temporary measures uh, if somebody is seriously considered to suicide, temporary changes, you know, even if it hurts your job or social standings. And maybe this means that, you know, if you are a parent and your teen is seriously considering suicide, maybe it means that you guys need to pay the money to send them somewhere that get, you know, separates them and get some real intensive help. Or, you know, maybe mm -hmm. it means that the dad who's out of town for his job all the time needs to seriously consider getting a job that pays less uh, where he can be there more to be able to help in that sense. And I know that's easier said than done. Uh, but And I know that these things will cost us money. And sometimes, you know, being up front and, and sometimes ourselves going away somewhere to deal with our, our suicidal thoughts might make other people cause other people to gossip about us and cause them to be tempted. They choose that themselves. Uh, but be willing to do that. Be willing to deal with it because life is that important. So, and I think also we should show people that these actions don't get people what they want. Hurting yourself doesn't. Actually, yeah. I think one reason why I brought this topic up is there is a, uh, a show called 13 Reasons Why that's massively popular on Netflix, which really glorifies suicide. And for those who don't know, in it, a, a girl kills herself and she basically uses her death to, to bring vengeance on everybody else. She kind of gets the final word and ruins people's lives back for uh, through her suicide. And that's not realistic. Uh, and mm -hmm. I mean, this is not like, it's not just that it's selfish and evil and horrible, but, you know, I've known of, I've had loved ones that are pretty close that have taken their own life. And they, they had all these dreams and even seeing a suicide note and it didn't happen the way they hoped. It just doesn't. It's not the dream world. It's not the fantasy that we make it out to ourselves. All it does is hurt others, other people really long term. It leaves scars long term. And typically the scars, the people that uh, that are going to be the deepest are the ones that you don't want to leave. Uh, mm -hmm. Typically the people that won't, the people that you might want to get revenge through suicide with will move on a lot quicker, unfortunately. So. Yeah. And then I think last show them the goodness of the Lord. It's just one absolutely imperative thing for somebody that's uh, going to these extremes just shower them with the truth of how good our God is and how kind he and gracious he is to us. Yeah, that's good. Anyway, so well, I think this is an important discussion and again, I I want to urge you if you're listening to this 
and you or a loved one is battling depression to the point where you might hurt yourself, uh, reach out to somebody. Reach out to your pastor. Uh, perhaps reach out to the suicide hotline if it's necessary. And uh, we and we are blessed to be able to have this conversation on this important topic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks for raising it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.